It is Thursday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there. Good show coming up. Randy Johnson covered Gopher football for the Star Tribune. Will be with me in just a few minutes here to talk about that team and their attempt to wash away last weekend's bad taste, that 31-10 to blown lead against Northwestern. How do they do that? Um, you know, opportunity this weekend against a non-conference opponent, Louisiana. Maybe not as difficult this week to, to feel good about yourselves, but they have to take care of business and start playing better going forward. An interesting PJ Fleck quote also caught my ear. I'll get to that after uh, the segment with Randy. I got some Vikings stuff at the end of the show. Kevin O'Connell, very downtrodden earlier in the week, but I was heartened to hear and see uh, with my own eyes that he seems to be a little bit more upbeat. They are also trying to turn the page from <clears throat> a bad game last week, a bad finish, a bad start to the season. They are 0-3 heading into that game Sunday in Carolina. First, though, what did I miss? Two things about the Twins, one of them a bit of whimsy, one of them actual news that is good for good for that team. Um, first one, went to the game last night with my family, my wife, and our three kids. It was it came to my came to dawn on me that it was the first time that we've brought all three of our kids to a twins game, not owing to any one specific thing. I mean, I think that the pandemic certainly was <clears throat> a big piece of that. Our youngest was born about two and a half, three months before COVID started. And so, you know, we had a long stretch there where, you know, they weren't there was no fans in attendance, and then he's very young. Could he really appreciate a baseball game even when things started get, getting safer? But he's three, three and a half, a good before in December. He'll he'll be, you know, he's he's in that he's in that zone now where he could appreciate, um, you know, he can appreciate a baseball game. None of our kids, however, are necessarily baseball fans. None of them are really sports fans, which might surprise you a little bit, knowing that you know I cover sports for. A living, but they have their own interests. They have their own, you know, their own things that they like. They'll sit and watch some things on TV when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm there, and when I'm, when I'm gonna kind of doing my thing. And they'll they'll go to other things, but they, they, they like, you know, they they like what they like, which is just which is great. I I, I love that about them that they're not just following the things that I like necessarily. They like a lot of other things that I like, but sports just not really a big part of their viewing experience. They play sports, they enjoy it, but they're not really sports watchers. So with that as a backdrop, we decided to go to this game. What I underestimated as we've kind of resisted or thought, ah, would they really like going to a game if they don't really like sports? What I underestimate is their love of events, of just being places. It doesn't really matter sometimes what the thing is as long as you get to go there as long as it's a new or novel experience last night it was a really nice night we got there kind of late owing to some scheduling stuff so we, we didn't get there for the first few innings but that's okay I've let go of the idea that you have to be there for all nine innings of a game although you best be sure we did stay until the end of that game, a 6-4 to four Twins win over uh, over the A's, which, you know, at this point in the season, not a ton for the Twins to play for, not a whole lot left, uh, not a whole lot left except getting fine-tuned for the postseason, but... You know the game had a the game had a nice feel to it. It was a beautiful night, and the kids all they wanted to do was kind of take in the experience, kind of in the way that they 
relate to the world. My oldest, my oldest, uh, my nine-year-old daughter just wanted to yell a lot, get into the chants, get into the, you know, get into the, the energy of the stadium. She kind of fed off of the energy of what was going on, really got into it, really got kind of amped up by what was happening. Um, my, my, my middle child, my six-year-old daughter, she was mostly in it for the snacks, let's be honest, um, the popcorn, the, uh, the assorted other things that you get when you go to a game, um, but also, you know, was interested in, okay, you know, we play like we play what she calls bat and ball in the backyard, which is essentially baseball, but it's just, you know, with a, you know, a, a foam bat and ball, and she's quite good. Um, we need to get her into softball, I think, because she is quite good at hitting the ball, but she just calls it bat and ball. She doesn't call it softball. She doesn't call it baseball yet. She just calls it bat and ball, and she said, oh, this is kind of like bat and ball. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what this is. This is exactly so. She was kind of like understanding the rules a little bit more while also enjoying her snacks. And the three year old, uh, my three year old son, was kind of in it for all of those things: the snacks, the experience, the fact that he could kind of like change to change his change seats. He's like, no, I think I want to sit over here. I'm going to sit over here. Hey, let's go do this. Let's go do that. He was kind of more looking all around, taking it all in. So, you know, I guess. Just more by the way of just observing. Was not, there was no like major revelations that came from this, but just kind of as a parent, as you know, someone who observes them moving through the world, it was kind of heartening just to see their experience, to watch them experience something that I've experienced hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. I don't know if I've been to thousands of baseball games, but certainly hundreds of baseball games. Watch them interact with things, see kind of what elements of the game, the kiss cam. They loved the proposal when someone proposed on camera. My six-year-old was just like over the moon with that, where we're like, ah, oh, man, this happens all the time. What a cliche, things like that. Um, they loved TC Bear, although my six-year-old thought it was a mouse. Um, they really wanted to play mini golf. We forgot to do that. They were very disappointed. But I said, hey, maybe next time. We'll do this again. We will do this again because they had a good time. We had a good time. It felt like a manageable and enjoyable experience. And that's what it's all about. You don't have to love sports. You don't have to love everything about something. And I think that's where sports have evolved. It's not just about the game. And the kids had a really good time at this game. And that was that was fun for me to see. Now, the news of the game, of course, was that they won a um, interesting nugget in the in the game story. I believe Phil Miller wrote that that they are undefeated this year when Ryan Jeffers hits a home run and he homered to tie that game four four. They end up winning six to four. Um, and you know, keep keep the good vibes going against a bad team like Oakland. So that that part of it was good. The bigger news, I would say, for the Twins though, Royce Lewis sounds like he is getting more optimistic about playing in the postseason. Had a simulated game on uh, on Wednesday that we were not invited to. Uh, none of us, I think, were invited to that game. But uh, he played in a simulated game. Sounds like he hit a home run in the simulated game. Felt good. Um, felt good hitting, felt like the, the hamstring strain was, was getting better. So a few more days before they have to make a big decision on that. I think it's not until Tuesday morning, the final, you know, the day of their, their first, uh, their first playoff game that they have to make a decision on that postseason roster. So good news for the twins in that regard. Interesting to see what his status is, if he can play the field, if he's a DH, how that might impact Byron Buxton, where Carlos Correa is at. Lots of kind of moving parts still, but the biggest moving part is the Twins moving up the standings. They're now, I think, 12 or 13 games 
over 500 since the All-Star break. They are definitely playing their best baseball right now. Royce Lewis, a big piece of that, and his availability in the postseason would give them a massive boost that would make me feel a lot better about their ability to not only you know snap this 18-game playoff losing streak, but advance perhaps in the postseason. The Vikings, on the other hand, are just trying to advance in their season, not the start. Anybody affiliated with the Vikings wanted. They are 0-3. Some tough losses among those three, especially the home opener, uh, the season opener against Tampa Bay, and then the, uh, the game last week against the Chargers, games that are right there, the kind of games on the margins that they were so good at winning last season, those kind of 50-50 toss-up fourth quarter games. Those are the games they were winning last season with you know, winning plays in crunch time. They are not making those plays this season. And you know, I observed, I wasn't there, but I observed Kevin O'Connell on the replay Monday talking about that game. He seemed as down as I've seen him um, and as confused, alarmed, um, angered, whatever you want to call it. He looked very upset about where things were, especially with their propensity for turning the ball over. They had another fumble in that game. They had a couple other near fumbles. They had the interception at the goal line to end the game. Um, you know, it, turnovers are going to happen sometimes. That's just kind of a function of football. But he, his emphasis on where they were at with that process was was really interesting to me. Here, I'm going to run the quote. I'm going to run the audio from O'Connell on Monday because this is about as forceful as you hear him on things like this. Yeah, that was a huge emphasis, and 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 really that that first turnover of the day was when we got we were really churning out some yards, running the ball, um, about to enter the red zone, and and we convert on that third down, and the ball gets taken away, literally in a mirrored uh, setting to our you know C two split two kind of drill. Um, and nobody's going to be harder on themselves about that one than TJ. But the fact of the matter is the ball, you know, is still in, in a, a critical, critical turnover uh, where we defer, defense gets a stop, and we're driving down there for points, and we, you know, come away with nothing, and, and then the next time we go on the field, we're trailing. So, uh, you know, that, that one, uh, I thought there was some, you know, other times where forward progress and things, and there was a lot of discussion going on throughout the day, but uh, we need to – end every snap with the football in our hands. And that's going to be continued urgency and emphasis like it was last week. And we're going to continue to do it and do it differently and emphasize it different ways until that value is received because that is a losing formula um, as we've seen uh, being where we're at in the turnover differential right now. No, I think that's something that we're going to, ha we're going to fix one way or the other. Either guys are going to do it or we're going to have to put other guys in the game that um, have ball security. Now, players said all the right things on Wednesday. I was out there Wednesday listening to Kirk Cousins, TJ Hawkinson, talking about ball security, talking about how important it is. And Kevin O'Connell did seem like he was in a much better mood, a much better place Wednesday, kind of ready to turn the page. Not happy still, of course, with where they are, but trying to draw out the positives from what's happened so far and use the negatives to get better for the rest of the season. So, you know, his message essentially to players was that one hurt. Let's move past it. Let's use that energy to get better, get get a win in Carolina, see where they can go with the rest of their season. 
that to me was kind of the more typical O'Connell energy. So it was interesting to see kind of the difference from Wednesday or from Monday to Wednesday, where he was at with his process, where the players are at with their process, trying to rebound. That's a hard thing to do. It's a, I would think it's a hard thing to kind of let one go, to let it go after you feel like it was right there for you, not let that snowball. That will be the Vikings challenge on Sunday. And that'll frankly be the Gophers challenge on Saturday to not let what happened last week against Northwestern spiral into something new. And that's something Randy Johnson and I will talk about right after the break. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Randy Johnson is my guest today on Daily Delivery. Randy, I think you made it home from Evanston, but did everybody on the Gophers make it back? Were they allowed to travel back after what happened last Saturday? My understanding is they were. I don't I don't think anybody had to walk home, be it players, coaching staff, head coach, or whatever. Um, yeah, but uh, they did uh, come back a uh, uh, very, very disappointed team after what transpired in uh, the final 15 minutes or even less than that uh, uh, Saturday night in Evanston. Uh, just a, a game that uh, did a complete 180 in the fourth quarter. I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there watching on TV, and I think maybe I've even talked about this with Roycey on Monday, but I'm sitting there, you know, we'd been out doing stuff that that night, and I hadn't seen the beginning of it, but by the time I tuned in, it was like 14 nothing. I'm like, okay, you know, this is kind of maybe what we expected from this game, a nice bounce back from from North Carolina where they'd played a good team, but maybe didn't, you know, didn't have their, their A game. You know, and then it's, you know, they kind of cruise along. It's 31 to 10. It's, yeah, I thought the game was over when Taylor ripped off that touchdown run on fourth down. I was like, my goodness, like that was quite a run. This game is salted away. And then it's just like they start creeping back and creeping back. And at one point, my wife is like, what game are we? What game are you watching? Like, are you invested in this? I'm like, I wasn't invested. Like, there was no reason to be invested in this. I was passively invested in this game until this started happening and then all of a sudden it's overtime and they lose. What was it like to be there and just kind of witness the, 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 the kind of comeback that you just couldn't believe was happening? I would think. Yeah, it, it was stunning, you know, and it was, it, it, it was for, for my purposes as, as a writer, very challenging because you have to scrap what you're writing at, on a night game. You got to do a complete oh, yeah. and everything at the end. But uh, yeah, it, it, especially uh, when, uh, Darius Taylor uh, gets that, rips off that run, breaks tackle, goes 43 for the touchdown, 31-10. Looks like, okay, it's just time to salt it away and be no big deal. Then all of a sudden, uh, Northwestern, uh, they go on a 11-play, 75-yard drive to get it to 31-17. It's like, oh, okay, that's, you know, there's nine minutes or so left or 12 minutes left, whatever it was. And, yeah, okay, the Gophers still have this in hand. And then, you know, then quicker than you Quicker than you can say, Jack Robinson, they uh, score another touchdown. Uh, three plays, 39 seconds, all to all to the same receiver. Uh, so uh, 31-24, and, you know, things are starting to get a little little tight there. And uh, even after that, Gophers, they get a first down on their next possession, run some clock, a little bit of clock, punt. Defense makes a stand, too. Yeah. Uh, they get, then they get it back. Uh, Gophers get, a, get get the first first down. Um, uh, Ethan Kaliak, Mass, uh, nice nineteen yard run. 
But then they, they get stopped on uh, third and two. Uh, Taylor uh, bounces outside and gets dropped for a one-yard loss. They punt. Um, Quentin Redding uh, inexplicably goes into the end zone and downs oh, it man. in bounds. Yeah. It's just he just lost track of where he was on the field. He had had a, had a, a really good uh, down punt earlier in the game. Uh, just you know, one of those things where he just just made a mistake, and then. Um, uh, Northwestern goes 80 yards in the final two minutes and scores. Then the overtime was was overtime reminded me a lot of uh, uh, the national championship hockey game. How quickly it ended. Yes, we got the ball. They get that throwback to the uh, to the tight end, and I you know, just remember watching Ma- uh, Maverick Baranowski trying to catch up, trying to run him down, but he, he had you know he had bitten on the fake and and just uh, just too much. What was I mean? I I listened to Fleck afterwards, but what was I mean? Are they just shocked at that point? Are they mad? Like, what's the prevailing sentiment after something like that happens? Oh, I I I think there was anger. There was shock. There was frustration. There was, you know, what what the heck just happened? Why did this happen? Um, you know, he came back uh, yesterday and said, you know, it was all all it was execution, uh, game plan, and and. In coaching, just basically all three facets. The thing that was really interesting is that that collapse came without the aid of any turnovers to Northwestern. Yeah, like, say the the uh, the one um, the one quick drive was almost like a return for a touchdown. I mean, it happened it happened so quickly that uh, you know didn't take any time off the clock, so that that you know made their ability to come back a lot easier. There were two things about it. I mean, there's many things about it, but there's two things about it that felt like a shame in particular. One was that. It did seem like they had made some strides when they got to 31-10. I mean, Taylor was excellent again, although he's, you know, the, the injury concern maybe is something we can get to in a minute. But Calic Manis had a bounce back game. He hit what he hit the first, he hit all of his first half passes, right? And didn't have a complete no, completion. He, first half. he hit his first one in the second half. Um, they had a couple of like couple of completions. Uh and that was on the first first uh drive of the third quarter. Um yeah, first he comes out of the gate, hits uh a 16-yard game, then has a couple of incompletions, and I think uh, it seemed like after that, you know, they punt after that, and they'd only taken a uh, two and a half minutes off the clock. I think Fleck got a little more conservative then. After that, they didn't throw quite as often. Um, you know, they didn't. So they, you know, they wanted to run some clock, but uh, they just weren't weren't stringing together the first downs they needed to. No, but I mean, the, the larger point being, it seemed like they had kind of some of the things that maybe had vexed them earlier in the season, like. You know the run pass mix early on, at least in that game, and you know putting points on the board, converting you know, things into touchdowns. Like all of those things seem to be going their way, albeit against an opponent that didn't look to be much of a challenge going in. Um, that gets obscured by the last fifteen minutes of the game. Yeah, and, and, and it has to because yeah, they can go back and look at what they did well, and they'll obviously they'll try to incorporate that into, into the next game. But they do need to figure out a way to. Uh, Fix what happened uh, in the in that fourth quarter. Um, you know, two games in a row where they've given up you know points in the thirties. That's you're you don't have an offense that usually scores a lot of points. Usually, if you figure you get thirty one out of that offense, they're going to win because uh, usually it, they they do control the clock and everything and keep the other the opponent off the field. They just weren't able to do that in the second half. They went all for six on uh, on third downs on offense. So that that uh, that came back back to bite them quite a bit. The other shame is it looks like the Big Ten West is whether, you know, fill in the blank, but the Big Ten West is as 
winnable, as awful, as whatever you want to say. It's not good. It And it's, you know, you look at it and, you know, Iowa what barely got, they didn't even get 100 yards against Penn State, right? Like Wisconsin's already lost to, uh, dropped a non-conference game this year. I mean, they're, they're okay, but they've got some injury concerns. Nobody in that side seems special. And if you could have got to 2-0 and in the Big Ten, albeit with a lot of hard games coming up, a much tougher part of your Big Ten schedule coming up, you might have felt like, hey, this might not be our best team, but it could still be a chance to win the West. You drop that game, it feels totally different. Yeah, definitely. That 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 one was needed. Uh, you know, with both Michigan and Ohio State on the schedule, you know, the you know general consensus is, is that they would need to more than likely run the West table to to win the West. Uh, if you uh, put losses to Michigan and Ohio State, which you know they you know they have every right to try to win those games, and you know maybe something strange will happen, but you know most people would put that as, as losses on the ledger when they look at the season. Obviously, not the coaches or players. They, you know they try to win the games, but uh, um, yeah. So th- th- that's one. It, it makes the route to that to winning the West a lot tougher. Um, you know if. Last year, the uh, three uh, three loss team won the West. I'm not sure you can count on that this year. Although no. nobody <clears throat> nobody's a world beater in, on the West in the West right now. Wisconsin looks better. Their loss looks a bit better now that Washington State uh, beat Oregon State. Um, but then Wisconsin lost uh, one of their uh, their second best running back in Chesma Lucy to a broken leg for the season. So the route to a bowl game even looks you know filled with potholes when you. You lose to Northwestern. You barely beat Nebraska in in the opener at home. I mean, we go back to that game when there was like a, probably a five percent win probability until a whole bunch of wacky stuff happened, and they made it happen. But um, how do I mean with that in mind? Like, how do they kind of regroup and reframe the season? They've got Louisiana this weekend. That is not LSU. That is Louisiana. So it's not. Uh, it was the the, the Cajuns. So it's it's maybe not the. Not the not the the supreme test that uh, that an LSU would be, but a, a chance again to get a win and feel better about themselves. But you know, again, the the back half of that schedule is going to get a lot tougher, and seeing where the wins are when you have performances like that gets harder to kind of envision. Yeah, and you you cannot take this game for granted as a win. Um, Louisiana's three and one; uh, they've scored over thirty points every game. So you know. The, the Gophers haven't been a team scoring in the 30s all the time, and you know they're going to have to start scoring if they want to win a game like that. So I, you know, uh, Louisiana has a, has a really good uh, dual threat quarterback. Uh, you know, they're they're not uh, they're not a bad team. Uh, they come from the Sun Belt. Uh, I think people remember uh, Georgia Southern from the Sun yeah. Belt threw a pretty big scare in the Gophers back in the 11 and two season in 2019. They had to. Rally in the last minute to to win that thing. Uh, had to go about ninety yards to win it, and uh, got a one on a Tyler Johnson touchdown uh, catch. Um, so yeah, they they really can't uh, you know afford to look past anyone. No, I wouldn't think so, and they probably aren't. You know, one hallmark of PJ Flex teams over the years has been you know anytime you talk to their players, anytime you talk to him, it's this kind of ability to kind of like lock in on the challenge ahead and not drift back into you know what ifs or even successes like you know it's, it's kind of on to the next one mentality that said a loss like that can have a little bit of a hangover effect how do you think they where do you think they are mentally now that they're you know a couple of days few days removed from that heading in and kind of trying to take that one you know away from their brains and refocus on what they've got going ahead 
Well, I haven't talked to players yet this week. That comes tomorrow. But, um, yeah, basically, uh, PJ said that the response is, was good on, on Sunday. You know, they, they showed them a lot of the – a lot of the issues, a lot of the problems that they, they showed them how you know upsets can happen, how teams can get beat. Yeah, man, managing the the mental approach is, is after these losses is is a big thing to to accomplish. Um, yeah, we'll we'll find out t- Saturday. It, it's I would think they would have a good response. They're back home. That's homecoming. Um, you know, they're they know that their margin for error is, is pretty much disappeared. Uh, you know, to get to you know to be in contention for the West and to uh, to um, get to a get to a nice bowl game, right? You look right now. You know, in the, in the past couple of weeks, they're most of the projections had them probably going to uh, say something like the Las Vegas Bowl or the uh, Music City Bowl. And now you see some projections no bowl and some to uh, Detroit for the uh, uh, Quick Lane Bowl. Detroit versus Vegas. There is a difference there in cities, destinations for fans, for writers uh, like yourself. So. I'm rooting for you, Randy. I'm rooting for the story. Um, you know, it, we'll we'll see where we'll see where they get. I I, I don't know what the energy is going to be like, crowd wise in uh, in in Huntington Bank Stadium on Saturday. I think there's going to be. I think there's a little bit of a prove it mode now. If there wasn't already to kind of see, okay, um, are you going to let that happen again, or or is this team going to take this this season more seriously? Yeah, that's that's something that uh, you know they do have to show show the folks something you know yeah the, it'll help that it's a it's a homecoming crowd it should be bigger than if it were just a one-off game against louisiana and not having that part of the festivities but uh yeah it's and it's an 11 a.m game um not a night game we get another night game next week against michigan um those are fun uh but uh yeah they uh they need to uh show up and and probably would help them if they could dominate a team yeah any injury updates? I know Taylor. They've had some things going on. Uh, any anything that we know clarity wise at that point? No, no, nothing. Uh, you know, uh, PJ Fleck basically uh, defers to the uh, availability report that comes out two hours before game time on Saturday. So he's not going to talk about injuries. Uh, he did. He mentioned it after the game um, that you know they had that it was the medical staff's um, decision to take him out after. after he went out after that third down run that lost the yard. Did did not play in the overtime, but other than that, uh, no word on on what his availability will, will be. We'll find out uh, more most likely on uh, Saturday morning. Well, he's going to have to play if he's going to win Big Ten Freshman of the Week for the fourth consecutive time. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember any time that someone's done that. Kind of lost in this whole thing is he's he's leading the, the nation in rushing yards. He's, he's, he's really good. That fourth down run where he just like there was a guy that had him stopped in the hole one or two yards short and he just powered right through him, kept the legs going and went the distance. I I was like, that was some kind of run. Yeah, that was nice. That, that's hopefully we'll see that more of that uh, this weekend. Well, we'll see. Appreciate it, Randy. As always, we'll talk to you again next week. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mike. Good stuff from Randy and a postscript to our conversation. Just noticing this in the last, you know, last day or so. PJ Fleck um, on KFan earlier this week talking about name, image, and likeness. And I believe Randy Johnson is probably writing about this later this week, might even be online today. Um, talking about name, image, and likeness and how the Gophers are at a deficit, talking specifically about, you know, Darius Taylor and other players of his of his ilk who are having really good seasons but could transfer, could be out of here at some point if the Gophers don't come up with with more name, image, and likeness money through their Dinkytown Athletes Collective. 
um, says, this is what happens when you're playing a true freshman tailback. We also have players that were here that are gone now playing at another school that should be here playing right now because, again, NIL, name, image, and likeness, we didn't pay them. We didn't pay them enough. That is the fact of life, and we all laugh at it, but that is a fact. That is very aggressive from Flack talking this week again on KFAN with uh, with Justin Gard and Mike Grimm, kind of his weekly appearance. He went on to say, um, just making sure everybody understands, we'll be a triple-A ball club for someone else. That is the reality and the truth of the situation. So please contact Dinkytown athletes. Going into full salesman mode, but that's just that's pretty frontal. That's very interesting to hear PJ Fleck say something like that. That is the reality of the situation. But when he lays it out like that, you can sense genuine concern about the future of the program, about their ability to compete for the top players. That is the influence of name, image, and likeness right now. That is where we are headed, which is great for the athlete, which is great for you know a certain high-caliber level of athlete, but not great necessarily for the programs that are left behind. P.J. Fleck clearly worried the Gophers could get left behind and that could create even more tiers of teams in college sports. So watch that going forward and watch how his reaction is to that in years to come. Let's finish with the cooler. Wow. Dame Lillard traded to the Bucks, a blockbuster with the Suns and the uh, and the of course the Blazers involved. All sorts of moving pieces. Drew Holiday gets shipped out. DeAndre Ayton shipped out of Phoenix. Pick swaps, picks going this way and that. Obviously, the biggest takeaway is the Bucks get um, you know get Damian Lillard, who's you know one of the best scores, one of the best offensive players in the game right now to pair with Giannis, and that will be quite a a sight to see. Giving up Drew Holiday is interesting to me because I really felt like when they won the championship a couple of years ago, he was a major component of that. He was a big piece of that engine that was driving that championship that year. His defensive acumen, his kind of glue. So I will, I'll be curious to see how much of an upgrade this is versus how much of a, you know, offensively, of course, this is an upgrade to a degree, but how much this really helps them win more? Does Is this more of a move on paper that makes them look better and maybe keeps Giannis happy that they've kind of gone more all in with with another bigger name brand player like Dame or is this the kind of thing that's going to hurt them in the long run was it due to what is it due to uh, was it due to the, the to the Blazers are they really going to keep Holiday or will there be a team that was trying to get Lilla that now Trump tries to come get Holiday I would think that would be the case and where does it leave the Suns kind of interesting for them trading DeAndre Ayton getting some other pieces back really kind of remaking their roster this season around their big three of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal. So interesting times in the NBA. Hope to talk maybe to some Wolves players today. Their media day is today. Their camp is opening. The, the convergence, we are in the convergence season, so I'll probably have some Wolves content on Friday show in addition to Sarah McClellan from the Wild, expected to join me, um, Wild beat writer for the Star Tribune, talking about that season, which is ramping up. Lots going on. We'll be here to talk about all of it. Lots of twin stuff next week, like I've mentioned, some special episodes coming up off of the playoffs. Vikings, Gophers, everything happening right now should be great stuff. So look forward to tomorrow's show and everything next week. Until then, I'm Michael Rand, back at it again tomorrow.